Israel. I mean, everybody knows that. I was listening to, now I listen to, um, not all the time, but I try to listen to Al Jazeera news. It's Middle Eastern news in English. And so, because it gives me a lens into that kind of thinking. And as I was listening to, yes, and that type of reporting, Al Jazeera, A-L, J-E-Z-E-E-R, two words, Al Jazeera. You can look it up on YouTube. And so as I watched that, um, I, was, I was concerned today as South Africa, Bolivia, different nations are pulling away from support of Israel. And then, of course, they were hammering on America needs to pull away, needs to pull away, needs to pull away. And, and I just became clear to me in the narrative. As you hear the narrative, listening to that, it's like... What? What? And so, but it's enlightening at the same time. And then I just couldn't help but think, Lord, what, how do we need to pray? You know, we pray for the peace in Israel, but sometimes do you feel like, I, could we just get a little more specific? And I don't know. I mean, I think that to me, obviously what's going on, the catastrophe that's going on is horrendous. And it's turning into a much more horrendous conflict with greater much greater realities that will impact the whole world. And so my prayer, I thought that we could pray this way. Because I don't think that Israel can stop bombing so long as as Hamas is still holding hostages. But I thought if Hamas were to come up with the hostages and say, we give up. See, now you've got a reason to stop. But you can't stop. Israel can't stop and just say, oh, we're tired of doing this. It won't work that way. It's like in the Bible, whenever the woman who, um, the, the army came against the city, and there was, and there was someone in the city and the woman was there, and they're like, okay, we're, gonna, we're, fixing to, we're fixing to pulverize this city unless we have. And the woman cut his head off and threw it over the wall. And what that sounds gruesome. But it saved the entire city and all the soldiers that would have fought against it. And so I just pray, as we open tonight in prayer, I just feel a real urgency about the situation because it is, it's, it's deteriorating around the world rapidly. And I know we don't hear a lot about it. You know, we have Fox News, we have CNN, and they sort of report in little sound bites. You know what I'm talking about. But if you look up Al Jazeera News, just watch it. It'll, it'll make your mouth fall open. Yes, yes, I do. And that, that's true. But they, they, they come from, obviously, our worldview. I like to watch the other worldview you know, to see how it's going. So as we open in prayer tonight, does anybody else have anything that we can open and we can pray about? But we, we really, I think we really need to seriously, and I know y'all are serious about it, and I know you see the consequences, but that's just my prayer. You know, just can we see this violent stop? And the only way I can see through that is if Hamas comes out of the ground or the Palestinians throw them over the wall. Otherwise, it's not going to stop. And so, could we just pray in all seriousness tonight about the situation? Father, we thank you, Lord.
God, we pray, Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would bring resolution to this conflict, God, that's turning into, Father, a firestorm that is going to sweep in the whole world. We ask you, Lord God, for mercy. We ask you, Lord, that you would bring, God, reconciliation, God, that you would cause, God, these prisoners, God, to be released, Lord, that you would cause, God, these prisoners to be released, and it would be an act of goodwill, Lord. I pray, Father, that some means, God, of reconciliation could come forth some olive branch, Lord God, that, Lord, could stop the death. I pray, Father, that you would intervene. And, Lord, we ask you, Lord God, to protect Israel. We ask you, Lord God, that you would call. We know, Father, that you will guard Israel. And I pray, Father, for our nation, God, that our resolve would be strong, Lord, and that we would continue to support Israel and that we would continue to be, Lord God, not of those, Lord God, who turn into a goat nation, Lord God, but we, Father, would be a sheep nation. As you said, when you, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you come and visited me. When I was in prison, you, you took me. Lord, I pray, Father, that we understand, Lord God, that that's talking about how the nations of the world dealt with Israel. May we be, Lord God, forever in your eyes a sheep nation. We ask, God, that you would Help us tonight, Lord God, to hear your voice clearly. Open up your word. May we, Father, be those who understand the hour we're living and become serious about learning, God, and receiving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Well, last week we talked about removing the mocker. How many got some mockers out? You know, how many have you been working on some mockers? Well, tonight we got another fun title. It's Don't Be Outwitted. Don't be outwitted. Now, it's gonna, it, it goes along with removing the mocker, but Jesus told his disciples that as they were walking out to do ministry, he said, it's important that you be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. And so that got me thinking, if we go to our Bibles real quick, and I'm going to, of course, it's my style. I, go, I use a lot of scriptures, and I don't give you any time to get there. So your best bet is just to either, if you're super fast with the Bible, or write them down and go check me later. And I ask you questions in between so you can't actually do it at all, right? So, so as we go tonight to 2 Corinthians 2... 10 and 11, I'll give you a minute to get there, but that'll be the last time that I give you a minute because this message tonight is sort of like scrambled eggs or oatmeal. It just don't warm up well. You know what I mean? So I'm going to have to get it all out tonight. I can't take this and put it in the refrigerator and warm it up later. It's going to have to be, you know, you don't, how many of you save your scrambled eggs and warm them up? Don't raise your hand if you do because you're gross. I don't want to know. Just throw them out and make more. So 2 Corinthians 2 you know, same breakfast food is just that way. You just don't. You just don't save breakfast food. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. Don't be outwitted. You'll see what I'm talking about in just a second. Anyone you forgive, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, and what I have forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order, now listen to this, in order that Satan might not outwit us. 
for we are not unaware of his schemes. Now, what Paul is talking about here is he's talking about a brother who was in the church who had some misdealings with another woman. And he was flaunting his liaison, so to speak. And so they brought correction to the man, but then he just wouldn't be repentant of his misdealings. And so Paul then tells them if he won't go to him, if he won't hear you, then bring him up to the church and basically tell the matter before the church. I mean, we don't really handle it that way anymore, do we? Uh-uh. We, we, she said we should. <laughs> Take them down. <laughs> we, we handle it in that way, but now instead of a church body, maybe a board. You know, so it's not like such public because we have, in these churches in these days, it was more house churches, a little smaller setting. So it wouldn't be like, you know, bring them up in front of the mega church. That would be, anyway, we have more, we have, we brought it into our context. But what happened here is that Paul told him, told the church at Corinth because he wouldn't hear, he wouldn't, what he wouldn't hear correction. So he wouldn't repent of what he was doing, right? So what did they tell? What did Paul tell them to do? He said, release him to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul might be saved. And now we're in that. So you're like, whoa, Paul, that didn't sound very loving, or does it? See, he's, what he's doing, Paul is telling, he's telling the church, he's saying, set him out and feed him to Satan. And let that go. In other words, hasten him to the pig pen. Get him all the way down to the bottom. And if that'll wake him up. How many people do you know? I've prayed that in the altar over people before. God, hasten them to the pig pen. They're probably like, don't pray that. That's what we need. We find ourselves rescuing people all the time and making them comfortable in their sin. We just need to let them go, you know, and here, this is what Paul, now Paul is coming back here, and he's saying, so obviously this brother now, what the remedy worked. And they've, Paul's gotten word back, he's back, and Paul says, if you forgive him, I forgive him. But isn't it interesting, though, he goes on to say, forgiven, it's all under the blood, it's done. That's bedonia, done. And then he goes on to say, in order that Satan might not outwit us. He takes care of this. We have to know our enemy. We have to know our enemy. Satan is looking to take advantage He's more cunning, the Bible says in Genesis, he was more cunning than any beast of the field, the serpent. Never, ever, ever underestimate your opponent. Never underestimate your opponent. Now, some people would hear that and they would say, Andrea, that, don't esteem the devil. 
But I don't have to esteem the adversary. But I do need proper, sober estimation of the adversary. I don't want to talk much about the devil. You know, a lot of people are like that. I just don't want to talk much about the devil. Here's a fact. He would like that very much. And so we have to know our enemy. If you know the enemy, then you can be wise as a serpent and not be outwitted. Now here, how many have ever heard of the guy, the Chinese general, Sun Tzu? Oh, look at that. One person. The art of war. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So, very famous. Here's a quote from Sun Tzu. If you know the enemy, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy... For every battle gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Know your enemy and know yourself. Know your enemy and know yourself so you won't be outwitted. Your victory is fully underwritten by the cross. You know that, don't you? But it may not be fully realized in you. That's a fact. We all have to own up to that. The cross has been fully finished. Your victory, your healing, your deliverance, your prosperity, your advancement, it's fully accomplished. But it doesn't mean it's fully accomplished in you. Know your enemy and know yourself. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. He's under my feet. Satan is under my feet. How many of us have sang that song? We love it. I mean, it's just such a great song, wasn't it? It just came in the church, and it was always a great Pentecostal song. We sang it. We jumped up and down. We said, he's under my feet. You know what? This is what I've come to realize. He was right on, Satan was right on the front row going, yeah. Because somehow singing the words did not equate to victory. Because if he was truly under the feet of all the people who said he was under their feet, they wouldn't be overrun by the enemy. The fact of the matter is they were outwitted. But before we can know ourselves, let's focus on our enemy. And in order to do that, we're going to have to go back a ways. Way, 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 way back. You see, in the Hebrew Bible, we are introduced to God, the creator of all good, aren't we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what does he pronounce seven times over his creation? It was good. It was good. Now, 
from darkness and chaos, God brings order, and he brings the systems to perpetuate the order. And we know it was good because he said so. And we are all the beneficiaries of that good. How many of you, every single time you've drawn in, you've, you've claimed a breath of air, it was there for you today? Every time. I didn't have to fight Randall for a breath or Andy I mean, you breathed and you, and I still got my breath too. How many of you thanked the Lord for the atmosphere he created for you? I mean, it's good, isn't it? It doesn't matter. Even people who are murderers have breathed in the breath of God. That was good. God says, it says in the Bible that it rains on who? The just and the unjust. The, the water cycle works for good people and bad people. Oxygen's provided for good people and bad people. The trees and the foliage are producing oxygen like a little factory, and we're just sucking it in all day long. And how from the moment that we left our mother's womb and we hadn't even thought to say thank you. It's good. That's a good system, isn't it? It works even without our thanks. And good thing it does. I worked with a man one time, and um, he was one of, one of the guys on my staff. And when I worked at the housing authority, and he didn't go to church, and they were always giving me a hard time. You know, when I went to work there, they're like, I hope she didn't preach to me. And they preached to me like in the opposite sense all the time. And then just opened the door for me to preach to them. And so I gave him his check, and he said, oh, he said, this is what he said to me. He said, I guess you'll be paying tithe on your check. I went, yeah, actually, I will. He said, that's funny. I said, I said, well, that check, I told him his name. I said, it, belong, it all belongs to God anyway. And I handed it to him. I said, it all belongs to God. And he looked at it, and he went, and he read his name. He said, no, it says pay to the order of. He said, that's me. I went, hmm. I said, well, here's how it works, though. I said, you see, the oxygen that you've breathed in and out every day for the beginning of your life has oxygenated every cell in your body, which is your blood has carried it throughout the entirety of your body, giving life to your brain and to every other organ that causes you to be able to open your eyes and get up and put one foot in front of the other and go to work and grasp whatever tool you need to do work. And at the end of the day, when you clock out, it is God who has supported you the entire time. And so at the end of the week, when you get that check, every bit of it belongs to God. But whether or not it, he gets, lets you put your name on it so that you can bring glory to him by giving the part that he's asked for an acknowledgement. I said, but you can keep it for yourself because he's just that good. But realize one day you will give an account. That's it. And so we look at this, but so we see God is good. He gave us his whole creation. It's good. We see that in the garden, then a creature comes into the garden, and he's clearly in rebellion to God's good creation. At Genesis 3, we don't know why or how he came to this rebellion. We don't know that in Genesis 3, do we? If you're just reading the Bible, you don't know anything. You just know there's some snake there, and he's in rebellion to God's good creation. But he is on a mission. 
The serpent is on a mission to ruin God's creation by his rebellion. And that's where we get the very first portrait of evil in the Bible. The aim of Satan is to distort what is good, ruining creation and dragging it back into chaos. That's the aim of the enemy. The fall of man is where we see the human rebellion. You see, we don't see Satan's rebellion, do we? Not at Genesis 3. Maybe Ezekiel and Isaiah fill in the fine lines later on, but you don't see that in Genesis 3. And then we see the fall of the man and woman. That's the human rebellion. Now we have what kind of rebellion on the planet? We have a human rebellion and we have a non-human rebellion. That's what we have here. This human rebellion is interwoven with the non-human spiritual rebellion. It's a mega theme of the Bible. Humans in rebellion, spirits in rebellion. Spirits working in humans to perpetuate rebellion, dragging the planet back into ruin, chaos, and destruction. Do y'all know your enemy? Genesis 6, then it keeps going on. It keeps going on. The human rebellion is interwoven this way. Humans animate. Humans then animate this snake nature and spread hatred and division to other humans, ruining God's creation. Genesis 6 tells us that human rebels who were captive through union with spiritual evil, human rebels who were captive through union with spiritual evil, were produced. And they were called what? Nephilim. Rephaim. Anakim. Giants. All the same word. We're told, according to the biblical narrative, the thinking at the time was these were great rulers of civilization who were regarded as part of God's, a part of human. They were, they were regarded as part human and part divine. You're like, Andrea, is that true? All I can tell you is what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Genesis 6. And they're seen, we're seen as those they would overthrow through their might. So they, they built great civilizations. That's the biblical narrative in Genesis 6. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took whoever they would to wife. They un, there was union. And was born unto them great men of renown, of great stature. So that's what the civilization was built upon. These Nephilim, who were regarded as part human and part divine, but evil divine, if you understand what I mean. Fallen. See, we're, we're, it's the interweaving of the human, fallen humans, with fallen spirits. This is how the Bible relates us to demons and devils. And what did they do? What did they do? They, they filled the earth with destruction, perversion, Violence and chaos, dry, dragging the world back into destruction. And what did God do? He intervened with a flood. His mercy 
It says that it repented the Lord that he made mankind. What does that mean? He was sorry. He created humans. But he in his mercy brought a flood of judgment. How many of you see God's mercy in his judgment? Mike said it. What if Hitler could never die? And so we see God in his mercy, he brings in a judgment. The judgment of God came in the form of a flood. And the Bible says these Nephilim giants were on the earth before the flood. And what else does it say? They were on the earth after the flood. Thus, these wicked human, this wicked human, human union happened again. Right? So we see this is happening again. And then the Bible gives us more clarity here as well. Babel, in the 11th chapter of Genesis, Babel gives us more context. Nimrod, who was a Gibberite or a giant, Nimrod was a giant, a Nephilim. And he did what? Building a civilization. His word, the word Nimrod, you know what it sounds like in Hebrew? Rebel. We're supposed to get that. He's considered a giant. He led a rebellion that is the same rebellion that's always been the rebellion on the ground, and that is to be like God. We will build a tower to heaven. We will, is that not, didn't you hear this speech somewhere before? Well, you hadn't heard it yet because you hadn't got to Isaiah yet. But you already know that I will ascend to, and I will be like the Most High. You already know this is the, this is the MO of Satan. And he, he's using humans to accomplish his sadistic will on earth. When Moses looks back at this story, he says that this is when God handed over all the nations at Babel. He hands over all the nations to worship and serve these demonic fallen entities. Some of you are like, no, it doesn't say that. I'll read it to you. Just don't see what you're reading. It said when the, this is Deuteronomy 32 and 8. You can put your, in your notes and go back and look at this. When, see, Moses is now looking back. He's looking back at the Babel account, right? And he's giving us, he's focusing in on it, and he's giving us clarity. Now, this is important for us to know our enemy and not be outwitted. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. So he gave out, he sent all the nations out. Now, if you're reading a translation, it may say the sons of Israel. ESV says the sons of God or the Elohim. The reason it's been changed, it was changed very recently, recent for the Bible changing, is because the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found five to seven copies of Deuteronomy in the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1948. It takes a long time for those things to go through scholarship. And then in the Dead Sea Scrolls, in our King James Bible, it says the sons of Israel. That was the most current transcript of the text that we had at the time. But the Dead Sea Scrolls gave us more 
content with older sourcing. And all the Dead Sea Scroll copies of Deuteronomy didn't say the sons of Israel. They said the sons of God, the Elohim. And so it was the ESV changed it because they cited better source material. That's really significant. So Moses also is the first to call these, these ones who now ruled all the nations demons. He's the first to call them that. In Deuteronomy 32, again, he states, They stirred him to jealousy, speaking, The people stirred God to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So this passage associates I, idols and idol worship to demons. Paul does the same thing, if you remember in Corinth. He says, you know, it doesn't matter, meat sacrificed to idols or not, but if you know it's sacrificed to idols, he said, don't go in the temple and have a meal. He said, what fellowship do you have with demons? So it's a very serious thing. So demons and Satan, they are lesser spiritual forces created originally as God's heavenly family. See, humanity, God's earthly family. Angels, seraphim, cherubim, all the created, God's heavenly family. What's the difference in demons in, in God's heavenly family? Not demons, but what's the difference in God's heavenly family and humans? There's one thing. It's real easy. You have a body. You have a body. You have a body that operates on earth. And that makes you very, very, very enticing. Because the devil can't get anything done without your help. Don't be outwitted. Be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Because everything the devil does on this planet, he does, and all the demons, they do through humanity. We see this over and over and over again. Spiritual evil is seen in anything that brings God's good creation back into darkness and chaos. But Jesus came as a new kind of human, a new kind of humanity, one who's subjugated evil, demons, darkness, and ruin. He demonstrated that. How did he demonstrate it? By how he did his will on earth. He removed captivity. He, he removed disease. He removed death. He removed the parts of ruined creation. I was talking to one of my family members the other day. And they have a certain sickness. And they said the same thing that so many people say. It's a terrible sickness that family member has. It really is. And she said, well, I know the Lord wouldn't have given me this if he just didn't know I could handle it. And I said, I called her name and I said, he did not give it to you. She said, well, who did? I said, the devil. And I said, sin. I said, it's a result of sin. 
on the planet and the devil's will. She said, well, I must be a big sinner. I said, well, it's not entirely your sin. It's that you live in a sinful world. I said, some of it may be your sin. True enough. I'm not saying you don't sin. But the fact of the matter is we have these ideas. See, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And I told her that. I said, I know he didn't give it to you. You know how I know? She said, how? I said, because Jesus is the perfect example of God on the planet. And he never gave anybody Parkinson's. He never gave anybody blindness. He never gave anybody something to teach them a lesson. Did he? He only took them away. He never met a person who said, if it's your will to heal me. And he went, "Mm, it's no dice, dude. Now, I know what you're saying. Then why wasn't my blah, 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 blah healed? I don't know, but I know it wasn't God's will for them to be sick. You've got to divorce from that theology or you will never see healing. And it is so ground into our church circles. I, when I watched The Chosen, I wanted to break the TV. Whenever the, the disciple who had the, you know, the, who was crippled and Jesus didn't heal him because his crippling could serve the ministry better. I want to go, I hope people are reading their Bible and not believe. I, mean, I like the show, but that's just not true. That's just not true. So we see Jesus, and he's a new kind of human. He comes in. He has no affiliation with the devil. And through his redemptive work on the cross, he gave us access to this new kind of humanity. Free from tyranny of the enemy. Free from hatred and violence for our fellow man. Called to carry his missional work. That's what he called us to do. We have to know our enemy. And I know you sit there and go, is it always God's will to heal? Well, I guess it gets to a point to where it is appointed unto man once to die. You know, that's an appointment everybody's got to make. I like Charles Capps' approach. How many of y'all heard of Charles Capps? He went in on a weekend, got all of his kids together, told them all what he wanted them to do. He was in perfect health, told them all what they were lined out to do, what he wanted. He blessed them all. He, got, he spoke kind words over them. He said, I want you to do this and you do this and you do this. And they said, well, Daddy, Grandpa, what, why are you telling us all this? He said, because I'm going home this weekend. And he died that weekend. He went to sleep, and he never got up. Now, see, you're like, well, that's, how did he manage that? Well, first off, he had to start with knowing what was available to him. I will bet you he didn't have a theology that said that God sometimes puts sickness on you to teach you a lesson. So who came to ruin creation? Who does he cooperate with to get it done? Fallen humans, fallen spiritual realm coalesces with the fallen human realm. 
to manifest all of the destruction and violence and ruin and bondage that the planet can stomach. And that is how it's done. But now we know our enemy, right? Or we know some about our enemy. But do we know ourselves? Do we know ourselves more appropriately in relationship to the enemy? Romans 7 and 18 says, For I know, Paul says this, I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Here's the first thing you got to know about yourself. Your flesh is unproductive ground. No good thing. Only thing your flesh will grow are weeds and briars and brambles. There is no good thing in your flesh. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh craves what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit craves what is contrary to the flesh. So they are opposed to one another. The next thing you need to know, the flesh is unproductive ground, and the flesh is always, always, always in opposition to God. So if Satan will use humanity, what aspects of humanity might he use? If the flesh is unproductive ground and cannot produce any good nor be reconciled to God. What areas of your life is Satan wanting to manifest himself in you? In your flesh. What is the flesh? It's the mindset of fallen humanity, unreconciled to God. It's your flesh that says God put stuff on me because he wants to teach me a lesson. We, we, we have beautified our flesh to the point that we don't want to get rid of it. We want to convince God it's really, 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 really not so bad. And we want to keep it around. So our lusts keep around. Our disobedience stays intact. Our rebellion has a place to be. If you removed all your flesh, you would have no excuses for anger, for violence, for rebellion, for suicide, for anxiety, for depression. And then what would you do if you didn't have all that? I mean, what excuse would you give then? I mean, I would hate it for you if you had all of your excuses were taken away. And then you would have to do, I mean, that would be terrible. I mean, you know, when other people come to you, it's excuses. But when you bring it up, it's a reason. You know what I mean? It's like the person who told me one time, they're like, they were, they were teaching a class, and they're like, I just have to try so hard, and I commit. I just work so hard to get the class done, and then the, the parents just won't, they won't bring their kids to class. And I said, where are you when I'm teaching? Well, I have reasons. Oh, your, yours are reasons, and theirs are excuses. I get it. 
See, where would you be without your flesh? That I'm not talking about your body. I'm talking about your mindset that wants to do what it wants to do. Well, I don't know. We, we might. We need to know. You need to know your enemy and know that that's what he's wanting to use. So if you want to partner up and wear the same jersey as the one who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, I guess that's your business. But don't be singing he's under your feet when y'all are wearing the same colors. When y'all got the same team logo on your jersey. You see what I'm saying? You're like, Andrew, this is hard. I'm only human. What kind of human are you? The Bible only sees two kinds. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. That's, that's how it works. So you got to know yourself. Remember what the general said? If you're only going to know your enemy but not know yourself, for every win you're going to have a loss. So where are you going to wind up? Every win a loss. Where's that? I mean, I'm not good at math, but what, is that, what does that equal? Zero. For every win, you're going to have a loss. If you, only, if you don't know either your enemy or yourself, what are you only going to have? Losses. They're going to pile up. The only, you have no need to fear a battle when you know both your enemy and you know yourself. So here's some things that, Here's some declarations for y'all to get you out of your flesh. Y'all ready? You know, we have these declarations. We say the word. But here's going to be some other declarations. I think you'll enjoy these. Here, number one. These are easy ones. I am not always right. Don't tell Mike I said that. I do not always see the whole picture. Here you go, another one. My feelings do not create reality. I cannot expect everyone to serve my feelings. Feelings are great servants and terrible masters. Here's another one. This ought to be mantras for you in the morning when you get up. I am more likely to behave my way into right feelings than I am to feel my way into right behavior. Let me say that again. Okay, so much of you are like, what? <laughs> I am more likely to behave my way into right feeling then I am to feel my way into right behavior. In other words, if you will put a smile on before you feel a smile, you're more likely to feel a smile. If you'll be kind to a person, even though you don't feel necessarily kind in the moment, your feelings are followers. You cannot let those dudes lead. I've heard people say this before. I've heard this many, many, many times in the church. Well, I didn't really feel like coming to church tonight, but I'm glad I came because now I feel better. And I say, yes, because you are more likely to behave your way into right feelings than you are to feel your way into right behavior. And they go, 
You just, when you came and you didn't feel it, you behaved in the right way and you left with the feeling you didn't have prior. If you're waiting for a feeling, I'll see you later. You got to know yourself. Here's a, here's a Bible verse for you. That's, those are just Andrea-isms. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. You know this one, don't you? Say it at all kinds of weddings. And we don't say the, we don't say the next part, though. Didn't fit wedding ceremonies too well. And do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. So what does that mean? Human anger brings opportunity for the enemy. So where, I'm just wondering, I'm asking for a friend. Where, pray tell, in your person is anger resident? What was it, Andy? In your flesh. So, because we know it's no good ground. And we know it'll never produce good things, right? So the Bible says, in your anger. It doesn't say you won't be angry. How many of you have never been angry in your life? Raise your hand really, really high. Wait, oh, lies. They've never lied in church either until now. So we've all, we've all been angry, right? But anger acted on. That's where sin comes in. Do not, and it says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So it doesn't, it, it even gives a prohibition on not, I didn't, I'm angry, but I didn't act on it. When did you get angry? 17 years ago. You've been riding, that demon's been riding you that long? Yeah, but we're friends now. Foothold, we're talking about a full-on, I mean, he's built a fort on you. I mean, don't give the devil a foothold. James 1.20 says this, For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness God desires. But I, it's righteous anger. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I might give allowance for that, but you better make sure that your anger is indeed righteous. You know what I mean? It's tricky, isn't it? Is your anger really righteous? The Bible says that man's anger, man's anger does not produce God's righteousness. Man's anger. In other words, you can't act on your anger even when you have a right to do so and somehow exact God's righteousness in that situation. I, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You need to know your enemy. I fear that many times we are giving the devil way more access into our life because we have made allowances for our flesh and we haven't allowed the Word of God to guide us. We've been guided by how we felt about a situation. Now, you're talking to the anger queen here. Used to be. I'm, you know, like an AA meeting here. Anger Anonymous. 
I mean, the Lord gave me a whole anger management thing. I'll, I'll share it with you sometimes because it's really, really good. I mean, I'm, he gave it to me because when you come from a violent home, you have a propensity to struggle with outbreaks, outbursts of anger. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so that, many years ago, y'all, I shouldn't even tell this story. Many years, many, many, many years ago. Yeah, like, you know, five years. No, I'm just kidding. No, long time. Like, we're, we're talking about early on in my Christian walk. Because, see, I grew up in a violent home. I one time took a watch of my, he was late. I was so angry. How many of y'all get angry like this? <laughs> I was so angry. I, his watch. I, was, I, I went in the bathroom and his, he was late, Randall. See, this is like, a, I'm, I mean, this is embarrassing to say, but this is an outburst of anger. I took a watch that he has, and he's the least angry person in the world. And I, I found it, and he was late, and I smashed it with a hammer. Smashed it with a hammer, his watch. Huh? My husband's. Mike's, yeah. I did. I know. And I was like, what? I was so angry. See, I, it was righteous anger, though, right? No. Well, then I felt stupid about second after. And then Mike was like, what'd you do that for? I like that watch. That's the way he always is. So, see what I'm talking about? I mean, how many of you, how many of you would say, I understand what you're talking about in outbursts of rage? And you're ashamed to say it, aren't you? How many of you broke stuff in rage? How many of you slammed stuff around? See, because... You do crazy stuff, don't you? Because that anger is an opportunity. And oh, yeah. So I, I'm talking about these things because this is where real people live. And that when you can find yourself repentant and dying to that part of your flesh, that anger can die as well. It won't be even a go-to anymore. Human anger brings opportunity for the enemy. He, it brings him a way in. It brings him a way into marriages. It brings him a way into minds. It gives him a voice at your table. So, from our opening scripture, it said that we're not to be outwitted by the devil. And Paul said that, that he was, he said, I will, I forgive. You forgive, I forgive. So we can see that firstly, that walking in forgiveness is important. How fast do you forgive? Soon as possible. The 12th of never. <laughs> Depends on what they did to me. Come on, eat right, we all. But Paul, Paul says that if you don't forgive, what are you doing? What do you hear? What's that sound? That's the door opening to the devil. <laughs> I mean, it's just true, y'all. It's true. And then anger, what do you hear? 
Here's another scripture for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and sober in mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. What? He wants to swallow you a whole, alive, to drown you. And look, he starts out, anxiety. How many, where does anxiety live? In your flesh. Where does anger live? Where does unforgiveness live? Ah, the fallenness in humanity. So he wants to swallow you whole. But look, it says, how do you resist him? Having the right mindset. He says, the family, your anxiety, your, the things you're worried about right now. And see, it's sad to say that majority of people in here are worried about something right now. Because we have so adopted a culture of anxiety We call it my anxiety. We have anxiety disorders. We have medicine for anxiety. We have all kinds of things for anxiety. I know we do. We've just normalized it so much that we ought to get t-shirts to just say, I have anxiety disorder. Careful. You know, this is, we ought to just go ahead and get the t-shirts for it. But listen what. What Peter says here, he says, the, stand firm. The family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. What is that? You're not the only one who's ever struggled. You're like, is that supposed to make me feel better? It should. That other people have been here and gotten through it. You're not the only one. Don't live in isolation believing that your suffering is somehow special. No temptation is a new temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. That temptation you got, oh, that's just common. Oh, what? Yeah, it's no big deal. It's just human mankind temptation. So we, we bring it like, Lord, this is terrible. Ah! He's like, it's just common. It's lots of, that's the same temptation. It's, it's not, it's common. Doesn't that make you feel better about your, your temptation now? Oh, you tell me something bad, I go, that's just common. Unless you're like, how dare you call my temptation common? It's uncommon. <laughs> no, see, that's supposed to make us feel better. It's uncommon. No, there's no temptation that's common to mankind. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond, beyond what you are able to bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way of escape. If you and your temptation have never found the way of escape, have you ever asked? Have you ever asked? Dude, you have more faith. You have more faith in the devil than you have in God. Is that not true? Can't get over my temptations. You mean those uncommon things? They're just common. Those simple things? What do you mean? This is just like controlling my whole life, Andrew, and you're telling me they're no big deal. Well, they're only as big a deal as you let them be. 
It said you have no faith in the word. That's what he just said. There's no temptation that's overtaken man except that what is just common to man. But with every, how many is every? With every temptation, he provides a way of escape. Either he's a liar or you're a liar, but we both can't be true in this. Yeah, you're saying, Andrew, why are you being so hard? Because somebody needs to be. Because somebody needs to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Instead of watering something down and leaving you in your dysfunction and delusion and fear and anxiety and dread and normalizing and cuddling up to the cobra every single day and not doing anything to try and get your way out. We have to know our enemy. We have to know ourselves. But he, God... James 4 and 6 gives us more grace, gives us more. He gives us more. You mean to tell me God's grace is not enough to get you into victory? Then I got nothing for you. If God's grace cannot get you out of pornography, out of alcoholism, out of depression, out of fear, out of anxiety, out of disobedience, if God's grace can't do that, then I got nothing for you. There's nothing I'm going to say. I'm, I'll talk till I am blue in the face. If God can't help you, dear God, I can't. But he gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud. Now we're getting somewhere. But he shows favor to the humble. People say all the time, God doesn't have favorites. Shows favor to the humble. Resist the proud, and he shows favor to the, How many of you want God's favor? You're going to have to do something with your pride. It won't work. Mine won't either. This, I, I'm the first partaker of this. He shows favor to the humble. Submit. Get humble under instruction of the word. Submit, get humble under the, and here's where it's fixing to get tough. Y'all, it was easy before. Submit yourselves. That means get humble under the instruction of the word. Then, get humble under God. Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Is the word true? Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So we've got anger. We had anxiety. We've got unforgiveness. And now we have pride. Where's pride in your person? Hmm. Gosh, here's a fact. We're fixing to close. There's no strength in pride, only defeat. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Proverbs 16, 18. There's a way which seems right into a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, Proverbs 14 and 12. So many people think pride and self-assurance is the right way. Assert yourself. Let everybody know how strong you are. Don't let anybody walk over you. Make sure you're the man. Make sure you're strong. Make sure, you know. It's so anti-biblical. And we pump pride, and we pump pride, and we pump pride into people, and pump pride, and pump pride, and we, we regale them as pride, as proud, you're proud, you're proud. The Bible says that the weak say, I'm strong. See, humility is the most attractive asset that you have. Weakness is your greatest strength in the eyes of God. That's why when repentance, when it's called weep and mourn and wail, humble yourself. See the pride in your life. There's no strength in pride. There's only there's only failure in pride. Only ever failure in pride. I don't know why people choose pride. Oh, and you're like, Andrea, how does this co compute? It's when you think you're right because you didn't take the first Andreaism. I'm not always right. I'm not always right. I don't see the whole picture. My feelings do not create reality. I'm not always right. Gosh, if you just started there, if you sought to understand before you were understood. See, humil I'm telling you guys, you've got to know yourself. I'm tired of seeing the devil run roughshod through people's lives because they're leaving open doors of pride. They're leaving open doors of anxiety. They're leaving open doors of, of, of rebellion. They're leaving open doors of unforgiveness. They're leaving open doors of anger in their life. And then they can't figure out why they can't get victory. And they go around saying dumb stuff like, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Then bind yourself. He works through you. I mean, I've had this all, I've been in church so long now, and I've got all these people that come into church, they're like, I'm a warrior for Jesus, and they can't fight their own flesh. And here, there's no strength in pride, and there is no weakness in humility, only favor. I have learned the great lesson of rejoicing and glorying in my weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And as we close, the Lord showed me something today. I was out cutting my roses, being reminded of the fall of man. Because a thorn got me pretty good, yeah. I was like, dang it, that hurts. Bleeding everywhere, cutting my roses. And I started, and I was talking, I was, I was preparing, and I was praying. That's what I do. I, I, I prepare a little while, then I go, and I do something, and I, I work it in the dough. And I'm doing something. And I was talking to the Lord about this, and I said, Lord, you, you knew your enemy, and you knew yourself. Because you were in the garden. I mean, you were in the wilderness, and you were tempted. And so I'm talking to the Lord this way. And I, and I, know, it's in, I know it's in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, so you all can look at that sometime. 
And it's the, it's the wilderness temptation of Jesus. And I said, you know, you overcame him with the word. You overcame him. with It is written, you said. It is written. It is written. You knew the word. And I, so I'm telling the Lord what he did. And he said, I didn't overcome him with the word. I went, yes, you did. I know the Bible. This is what's going on in my mind. And the Lord paused. And I, I'm like, what do you mean you didn't overcome him with the word? He said, think about it. Turn these, make these stones become bread. You said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Okay. Here, you took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And you said, I'll give this to you in a moment if you'll just bow and worship me. And then you said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God in him only, and thou shalt serve no other. And then I said, and then the devil used the word on you. And he quoted Psalm 91 and said, he took you to the top of the temple and said, jump off and he will give his angels charge over you, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And you said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I said, you used the word on him. And he said, no, I didn't. This is a real conversation I had today. Jackie got it. He used the word on himself. And I went, thou shalt, man does not live by bread alone. He used the word on himself. And as a result, the word was used. See, he resisted. He submitted to God. And in the submission to God, he resisted the devil. And then he said, Thou shalt serve the Lord thy God only and serve no other. See, what did he use the word on first? He used his word on himself. And then he said, and I said, but what about the devil used the word on you? And I've heard this said a lot, and I think we like how this sounds in our ears. The word of God is as powerful in your mouth as it is in the mouth of of the Lord. But the Lord corrected me on that today. I've said it myself. He said, it is not. He said, if it were, it would have been as powerful in the mouth of Satan. He said, the word of God is not powerful in any mouth that is unsubmitted to me. Because the word is not a weapon for the enemy first. It's a weapon for us. It, the word brings us under governance. And we have been trying to wield a sword against every devil. And we have not used the sword And this bit me pretty hard. I was like, wow. So how did he overcome and resist with the word? He brought himself under submission to the word's authority. He brought himself under instruction. He made no agreement with rebellion. From a garden, 
He went from a garden, we went from a garden with rebellion to a wilderness with submission. Then he went to another garden with submission, the Garden of Gethsemane. As he said, let this cup pass from me, right? Three times he prayed that. And again, he brought himself under the submission of the word of God. And he said, nevertheless, not my will. So my, my message tonight is this. If we are going to gain mastery over the devil, we have to first dispense with all our binding and loosing. They'll, we'll get to that. But first, we need to deal with, we need to lay the sword in the life and deal with our unforgiveness, our anger, our anxiety, fear, and our pride. Because that is where the, see, I want you to understand this. If you're in rebellion in areas in your flesh, in your pride, in your arrogance, and you won't allow the sword. See, the sword is God's instruction. The sword is God's word. Thy lamp is a word. Is a, thy, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So when someone comes against you and you have that temptation to do what the way of flesh always does is to be used of the devil. Instead of doing that, allow the governance of the word to put you in check. Let the word deal with your anger. Let the word deal with your rebellion. Your unfor- you can't live in that. See, so much of our life is spent in all of this defeat and destruction when everything has been done already. And here's my other greatest fear, concern, fear, is that people don't know the Word of God. They don't want to read the Word. The Word of God is as foreign to them as another language. They pick out, the. they think that the most they know of the Word of God is the verse of the day that pops up on their you version. How are you going to defeat the... How are you going to deal with yourself? How are you going to bring yourself under the Word of God? Many of you are like, I wasn't planning on it, Andrea. How are you going to bring yourself under the submission of the Word if you don't even know the Word? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Come under the Word. That is, that is... The resistance of the devil. And you know what he'll do? Gone. Because he's got nowhere to land. You'll be just like Jesus and saying, the prince of this world has come and he has nothing in me. Because I'm under the governance of the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. I'm not going to show that video tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, Father that you would allow us to know our enemy, yes. But, God, may we know ourselves. Oh, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help us, God, in these last days to use the word, God, the sword of your authority, God, 
God, lay it in our own life. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, God. Forgive us for thinking, God, that the Word is powerful everywhere but our own self, God. Let us come under your Word, God, in humility, Lord. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us, Lord God, for thinking that we have a right to not forgive others. Forgive us, God, for claiming anxiety as our birthright. Forgive us, oh God, for all of our double dealings, Lord God, and double-mindedness, God. God, I pray that you would give us, Father, a light, God, to see ourselves, Lord, and not be outwitted, Let us not be outwitted by the enemy today, Lord God, but give us strength in the name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all can give to missions. I have nothing. I do have a video, but I've gone too long, so you'll just have to give because it's in the goodness of your heart, not because 